in that way. Now this story comes on the heels of our story last week with with Mary, and we, and we talked about the importance of being in God's presence and, and Sabbath being one of the gifts given to us. Well, today, it seems, Luke wants to say more to us about being in the presence of God, and today, through prayer, is what we will focus on. We read once again about people who have this desire to be in communion with God and What is not completely clear is what prompted this question to ask Jesus to teach them to pray as he's being asked to do so. And given we're this far along in the story that Jesus has already turned his face and his mission towards Jerusalem, why now? They give us some ideas here. Now we know they've been watching Jesus pray and maybe this inspired this disciple to ask Jesus to teach him to be in communion with God as Jesus was in communion with God. But I also find it very interesting that they wanted him to teach them to pray like John's disciples. What does that mean? Why like John's disciples? We can't be sure what it was about John's disciples' prayer life that made them ask this question. Maybe it was, as it can be for people in our own day, Maybe they were comparing their abilities or effectiveness of their prayers to that of others. Maybe they were feeling a bit inferior to how John's disciples pray. I'm speculating. Perhaps they had the perception that John's followers were more polished, more effective in their prayer life. Or maybe they wondered if, well, since we are Jesus' followers, ought we not to be able to pray even better than John's disciples. Maybe there's a little pride, in other words, here. But what we seem to be able to answer with confidence is that they either or both were questioning the quality or the effectiveness of their prayers and compared to others and compared to Jesus' prayers. Now, based on the parable that follows, perhaps something of both is true. Now, it's been my observation that It can be deeply disappointing for us who pray when our earnest prayers seem to go unanswered. Years ago, there was a pastor named Leonard Griffiths. He was the pastor of a a well-known church in London called City Temple. And he wrote a book called Barriers to Christian Belief. And in that book, he dealt with some of the problems that have over the years been very real obstacles and stumbling blocks for people in their faith walk. He talks about specific problems that hinder people, that that burden people, that, that disturb people, and that can keep them away or push them away from Christian faith. And one of the the key obstacles and barriers is unanswered prayers, of which I believe we can all probably relate. Another barrier that I have found and perhaps experienced along the way is feeling like we don't know how to pray well are in the right way, are are as good as others, comparing ourselves with, well, somebody else is going to be better at praying than I am. So we probably all have felt that. Let me share an example of of someone learning how to pray. A mother once sent her fifth grade child to bed one evening and told them to get ready and she'd be up to check on him. and, And she did go up because he was prone to not get ready for bed. And she had been teaching him how to pray of late. 
And so she stuck her head in his room, and there he was on his knees by his bed, hands clasped together and head down in earnest prayer. And she was so proud. He was taking initiative on his own to pray. And so she thought she'd listen in, and she'd listen, and she heard him say, let it be Tokyo. Please, Lord, let it be Tokyo. She found that quite puzzling. She had no understanding what Tokyo had to do with anything. And so she came into his room. She said, you know, I heard you praying. I'm so proud of you for taking that upon yourself today. But I, got, I have to know, what did you mean by let it be Tokyo? Oh, the boy said, embarrassing, not knowing she was listening. She goes, well, we had our geography exam today, and I was praying that God would make Tokyo the capital of, of France. <laughs> if someone were to tell you that they did not feel their prayers worked, or if they asked you, can you teach me to pray, what would you say? Do you feel like you would have a good answer for that person? And once more, how do we together teach people to trust in a God who hears our prayers even when they do not get answered? The very first church I was appointed to, um, one of the members had, in the years past before I came had grown, had grown ill, and it was not an illness they were supposed to recover from. But the church surrounded him and his family in prayer on a regular basis every day and and he got better and understandably they had a deep trust that prayer works and it really inspired hope and it was a, a meaningful lesson about prayer and and they were really they were really gifted as a church that prays we would sit around the cross every Wednesday night and, and pray together and they were really wonderful even so one of those ladies who sat in that circle with us she got ill with the same sickness and we prayed for her. Her illness did not go away. And she would often ask me, Preacher, why? Why are the prayers not working for me as they had before? I never had a good answer. I could only say to her, I understood. But I also had the very same question with her on her behalf and on behalf of all of us who have ever experienced anything like that. She walked a journey that I have not yet walked, but I will at some point. And I can tell you that over our time together in just one year, she taught me much of what I needed to know about prayer. She showed me what it looks like not to lose faith in the face of unanswered prayers. She taught me that sometimes we do not have good answers to hard questions about life or prayer or faith. She once more taught me that we can ask God, where are you, God, when we can't sense that God is indeed with us. And finally, she taught me that God does not punish us for such questions, that God still loves us, and we can ask hard questions of God and even about God. But what she also taught me was that prayer is much more than some pious discernment that we do. It's much more than intellectual practice. Our questions about prayer are often tied to the, some of the most difficult human experiences we can ever know. And I must tell you that to preach and to teach about prayer is like what someone else wrote 
whom I do not recall any longer who wrote. But they wrote that preaching about prayer is like falling into the ocean. We cannot touch the ocean floor. We're overwhelmed by the turbulent and the fast seas that move around us. And no matter how hard we try, we cannot teach the depth and the breadth of prayer. But we can be buoyed in those waters by prayer, even as we explore its mysteries. So whatever conclusions, whatever practices or, or tips we might get about prayer, we, as we leave here today, mysteries and questions about prayer and life will remain that are unanswered and that we continue to ask. Now it's often said of this parable and this passage that, well, it's about persistent prayer, that persistent repetitive prayer is what it takes for, for prayer to work. And I do believe there's truth in that. But let us be careful not to push it too far. Let us be mindful that we can do harm to those who are good and faithful, who pray long, hard, and often, as my friend did, who struggle to know better days. And what I mean is this, I do not believe that Jesus is telling us that a million prayers is better than a hundred thousand. What I do believe Jesus is trying to tell us is that God hears us. And that we can return to God and we should return to God every day, every moment we need. And to know that God will listen as if it were the first time. God does not grow weary of our asks. And we should not grow weary in our asking. I also believe that Jesus is speaking to any of us who have ever wondered if we can trust that God is available, listening, present, and let's look at how Jesus talks of God in his parables in general. He consistently speaks of God in, in terms of a friend, friends that we would know, know full well who would always help us if or when we ask. That's the friend God is. We might be slow, but God is not. He speaks of God as a loving parent who already knows that would never give the child a scorpion if they asked for an egg. And Jesus points out that, that you and I wouldn't even do that. And, but how much more God would not. How much more God loves and provides. This is the beloved one. This is the holy one who wants nothing but good for us. This is the character of God. But how does this help us to know more or to help us in our hard questions about prayer. How can we learn to answer those or answer for ourselves? Is it possible to not, that we're not praying as we should? Or is there some way I can pray where the results are better? And my best response, first and foremost, is that God loves you. And God wants good for you. I believe this true to the bottom of my soul. And this is who God is, unchangeable at that. But I must confess, the rest of what I can say with certainty about prayer lives somewhere between full confidence and the great mystery that is God. Phyllis Tickle often wrote of prayer. She gave her life to the endeavor and she wrote her memoirs, The Shaping of Life. And she writes about learning to, prayer, learning to pray from her mother who had a very interesting routine that she would go through every day in her prayers. Every day, she said, her mother would wind up on the bench and 
her living room and impervious to every possible interruption, anything short of a, an emergency. But it was the hour before that time with the bench that was the most interesting for her. Mother would spend an hour reading a magazine, and then she would file her nails. <laughs> and then she would pick the Bible up and read the Bible for 10 minutes. And then she writes, Mother closed her Bible, set it on the middle sofa of the, of the couch cushion, of the, the couch cushion sofa. And then she would sit on her bench and she'd turn off the lamp, she'd cross her short legs at the ankles and she went somewhere. And this, to me, this going somewhere, was the most curious of my mother's feet. It was also the thing that I would on many an afternoon sneak into the kitchen to watch from the other room. And she reflects on this, and she said her mother taught her two important things about prayer. First, prayer requires routine, repetition, and practice. And secondly, prayer is an art best practiced with a composed mind and spirit. Her mother's unique and, and maybe even quirky methodical routine, it instilled in her that prayer is something that we enter into. But what intrigues me most is, is her idea that prayer takes us somewhere. That it's a travel, it's a journey that we're pulled into. And because of this, in her mother's prayer life, she spent the rest of her life discovering those lands of prayer. Now, over the years, I have heard many who try to make sense of unanswered prayers in this passage today that, well, perhaps God says no to us or wait. Please hear me say that that may indeed sometimes be the case in prudent, and sometimes indeed our prayers can be for the wrong things. Tokyo will never be the capital of France, regardless of how much we pray for that to be so. But not all prayers fall in that category, do they? There are prayers that only yes will do. For those who persistently pray for healing of suffering, for the end of oppression, and for everyone to be cared for in this world, for those who pray for that, I cannot imagine God would ever say no or wait for that. For those who pray for peace in their homes, their neighborhoods, their nations, I must assume that God has a resounding yes. Come soon. Come quickly. I don't think God wants to wait for those things. And this is where Tickle's idea of prayer taking us somewhere becomes very important, I believe. We live in a world that can do harm. There are many in this world who do harm, but we can know. We can know what it is to be caring for people. So if we're to enter into prayer, should not our prayers lead us to act on behalf of others? And when we pray, we also learn that God is with us and within us. And we learn that what it means to be there. I often think about my church member who I prayed with every Wednesday night who asked me about her prayers not being answered and I still struggle to know how to answer that question and, and it can be just as frustrating today, but... I do not struggle to know what we can do. There will be people in this world that struggle, and we can be there. We can be present. We can be the answer to many of our prayers. No, God will not take all of our struggles away. We can't remove all struggles of this world, but God can choose to walk with us all the way, and so can we, even the hardest ways. 
This is what the world needs from the church today. The world needs to know that we are a praying people, but also that we're present. What happens in this world often requires that we pray and to pray for things like love and peace and mercy and justice, but not only that. We must to be embodied as loving, merciful, and just-filled people. This is why I ask you to join us on August the 4th for a prayer walk. It's literally a moment where we can be sent by our prayers into a neighborhood to pray for those whom God is, is serving, and so that we can be a part of that as well, sent by our prayers. And if you ever feel like your prayers are weak or if you don't know what to say, and simply pray the prayer that Jesus gives you. Let it be your starting point. Let it be your guide. It is sufficient. And we will, I know we've prayed it already, but we will finish by praying the Lord's Prayer together again today. But when we speak those words, what we will hear ourselves saying is that we're asking God for forgiveness and to be forgiving. We're asking God to provide, but also asking God to help us to be providers. And in these words that we pray, that Jesus prays, is a whole world that we're taken to. And that world that prayer takes us to, we call the kingdom of God. That's what's on the other side of that door we're to knock on. It's the kingdom. It's God with us. No, we don't know it in fullness, but we know it in part. And we know that it is among us. So let us pray as Christ teaches us to pray. And then, may we be sent by the words that we pray. Lord, teach us. Lord, teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.